0: You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Our culture uh, has expected us, conditioned us, to anticipate asterisks. You can buy a truck for zero dollars down. Asterisk. Take out a loan at zero percent interest. Asterisk. Vacation to Europe for just 99 bucks. Asterisk. We're used to saying the phrase, that sounds too good to be true in our culture, because we're inherently skeptical. It seems like every claim has a catch. Every good news has bad news hidden underneath it. And we're in the middle of a sermon series here at Midtown that's been a lot about good news. We've been going through the Apostles' Creed together, the series we're calling Christianity Uncomplicated. It's the core of the Christian faith, what billions of people have agreed upon for thousands of years. This is the the heart of what we believe as Christians, and it's been amazing good news so far. We've heard about a creator who knows us and loves us. We've heard that that creator has made themselves human, has entered into our condition so that we might know them, know the love and grace that's at their heart. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is an incredible reminder in the creed and in the scriptures that this is who God is. It's been good news after good news until today's statement. All of a sudden, it seems like there's an asterisk because we hear that Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. In our skeptical minds, we tend to think that this statement is bad news hidden underneath good news. Right? We start to say, see, I knew. I knew that there was an asterisk here. All that talk about grace and love, that's great, but when it comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road, we've got a God who judges, a God who condemns. Friends, we often assume that this judgment that's being talked about here and talked about in scriptures is inherently sinister, is bad news hiding underneath good news. And I say we assume that because I've often assumed that in my life. I grew up in the church hearing that the judgment of Jesus was going to be a brutal day eventually. You guys remember the Left Behind movies? Anybody watch those growing up? This is terrifying for a child to watch. I would walk outside, and I'd look at the sky, and the sun peeking through the clouds, and I'd think, uh-oh, <laughs> Jesus is coming back. This is scary, right? But is judgment really bad news? Is justice really bad news? Is this a weird good cop, bad cop thing that God is doing? Yeah, I'm loving and gracious, but really, I'm going to turn it around on you eventually. My hope today is that in unpacking this statement, that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead, unpacking how we see it in scripture and unpacking how we see it in the creed, we're not going to see it as an asterisk. We're not going to be terrified of it. We're not going to see that this is bad news hiding underneath good news. We're going to actually see that this is a part of the powerful good news of the gospel. That Jesus is coming to judge is something that our hearts need. It's something that gives us freedom. And it's something that's powerful news because it's Jesus who brings the judgment. This is a crucial thing in our world, friends. And so, my invitation to you is well, to think underneath this statement that it's a part of the good news, not a part of some bad news about a God who changed things up on us. So, let's open up the scriptures and unpack this picture of judgment that we see. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn in it with me to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to be reading from verse 17. Through verse 21 in Romans 12. We're going to have the words behind me on the screen if you'd like to follow along as well. Uh, Romans is in your New Testament, if you're flipping there. Chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will keep burning coals onto their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we think of judgment in our culture, we have a certain image that comes to mind. A judge, oftentimes, right? With long black robes sitting above a courtroom. Below them is a convict, maybe, handcuffed to a table, orange jumpsuit, perhaps. And that judge is holding a gavel in their hand. They're ready to swing that thing down so that loud, cold, calculating judgment would come over the person sitting in front of them. This is our picture of judgment. And because of this, our picture of justice is automatically connected to this. We think justice is punishment, always. Justice is intrinsically connected to punishment in our minds. We think that justice is served when an embezzler goes to jail or when a murderer is sentenced, right? And that picture of judgment, that picture of justice, often leaks into our understanding of the creed and our understanding of judgment in the scriptures. We picture God as that judge, meeting out punishment dependent on the person sitting in front of them and what they've done. But the Bible is actually far more robust when it talks about justice. It's not just talking about punishment. It's talking about something way, way bigger, Justice, according to the scriptures, is when everything is working together harmoniously. We get that in the first pages of these scriptures. God creates the world, forms everything perfectly. Everything has its role to play, and all things live in unity with themselves. Humans with God, humans with humans, humans with creation. It's this amazing picture of peace and harmony. scriptures use this word shalom to capture that original created order. And God appoints humans to steward that order, to partner with him, to steward life and flourishing, to keep shalom together with him. By living in God's defining of the world, his defining of good and evil, and reminding ourselves that he's the one who judges, we actually get to participate in the goodness of all things. And anytime the Bible talks about justice, it is intrinsically connected to this idea of shalom. Justice is whatever brings about and maintains shalom, which means it's way bigger than just punishment. Justice is when everything is in its proper place. Justice is when there's no more oppression. Justice is when there's love and peace shared amongst all, when there's mutual respect, when the weak and the vulnerable aren't being taken advantage of. That's justice. It's always viewed towards the positive end of shalom. It's not just a negative thing, punishing people. It's viewed towards the positive restoration of all things. And unfortunately, we learn in the scriptures that that's not the way that the world has worked. We love that picture, right? We love the idea that peace and harmony can come in our world, but well, all you've got to do is live a few days to learn that's not how it works. And the Bible mentions to us that the reason it doesn't work that way is because humans have said, well, we kind of want to define the world on our terms. Thanks for your picture of good and evil and shalom, but we're actually going to rip it from you. We're going to define it on our terms. We're going to become the judges of good and evil. Thanks, but no thanks, God. And when we do that, we learn every time that when humans take good and evil into their hands and become judges themselves, it leads to violence and death and decay all over the place. When the Bible talks about sin, this is what it's talking about, that injustice reigns when humans take over the world on their terms, and that shalom is always fractured. And that sort of sin, that sort of injustice, is talked about on multiple levels. That's an important thing in the scripture as well. It's talked about on the personal level for us. Sin works its way into our souls, into our very beings, and corrupts our thoughts and our minds. But it doesn't just stay there. It actually leaks its way out into the world, into systems and structures that perpetuate injustice and sin in the world. There's a a biblical theme, a running image that's used in the scriptures to talk about this, Babylon. It's this ancient city that was oppressive in the ancient world. And Over and over, we learn that Babylon is this archetype, this running image of all systems where sin and injustice reign. We learn that God is going to deal with those systems. But we also learn that sin is not just personal and corporate. It's also spiritual. There's evil forces around us wooing us away from the shalom of God originally. And so sin is this comprehensive thing that taps into our personal lives, into our social lives, and into our spiritual lives. And I want to bring that up I think it's important for us today because a lot of Christians in our world will talk about a lot of the pain that exists around us in only personal terms. We'll say that, well, sin is just a heart problem. And if we just resolve the hearts of people, then, then we'll fix our world. And I want to be very clear. Sin is a heart problem. Absolutely is. No doubt there's things that are corrupt in every one of us. The scriptures tell us that. But it's not just a heart problem. We learn that this sin creeps its way out into every corner of our world and we need to be fully aware that that's happening so that we can move against those things beyond just ourselves as a church but the bible doesn't say that humans are on their own in this situation we're not on our own when it comes to sin we learn that god steps into this broken world in order to bring about restoration in order to bring shalom back He invites a family that becomes a nation called Israel to partner with him to bring Shalom back into this order, created order. And he does that on the personal level. He does that on the corporate level. He does that on the spiritual level. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's a personal part of this thing, that in partnering with God, if we want to see Shalom come, we have to have a personal connection, unity with God. But it's not just personal, it's also corporate. In Jeremiah 22, this is what the Lord says. Bring about justice and righteousness. Rescue the disadvantaged. Don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. It's larger than just the personal. It gets into the corporate. And there's a spiritual component. God assumes that when we get our spirituality out of whack, when we end up worshiping the wrong things at the wrong times and the wrong ways, it leads to injustice. It leads to the fracturing of Shalom. That's why he says in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Our spirituality needs to be in line. We need to be linked with God. And so he says that if we're going to partner together to bring Shalom back, we need to do it on the personal level, on the corporate level, and on the spiritual level. And yet, we learn that all of us, in one way or another, have failed to do just that. All of us have failed. Israel failed. Sin is something that no human is able to escape, regardless of their religious disposition, regardless of where they go to church. All of us are living in this corrupted world and experiencing it and participating in it ourselves. And so God sends a group called the prophets to the nation of Israel to proclaim to them that they have failed in the same way that the rest of the world around them has failed to bring shalom. And those prophets say that judgment is going to come. That judgment will come because they failed to participate with God in restoring shalom. And the prophets use a, a phrase to describe this judgment. They call it the day of the Lord. It's mentioned over and over in the prophets. And the day of the Lord comes in some small ways. It comes in the overthrowing of empires. It comes in the judgment of Jerusalem. But we also learn at the end of the scriptures that the day of the Lord will come once and for all at the end. The day of the Lord will come to make right all things once and for all. And all along the way in this process, God is promising that even though judgment does need to come because of what's been broken, we always have an invitation back to God. He says, anytime you turn back to me in the middle of this broken world, anytime you choose to confess of your sin, of your participation in this broken world, I will forgive you and you can be a part of this restorative plan. You can partner with me again as you were made to partner with me at the beginning. God always opens the door for us to return. Sin doesn't get the last word. His mercy does. That's what happens in the scriptural story. And so judgment, when we think about judgment according to the scriptures, when we think about justice, it's much bigger than our common picture of just punishing evildoers. And to believe in Christianity means to believe that in Jesus, God will make right all things. That he will bring justice and shalom. That that's the end game of any judgment. And that he invites us to partner with him in it. That he longs for us to be restored ourselves and to come near to him again. That's what it means when we say that Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. That we believe that shalom will be restored. And that when we turn to Jesus, we will be a part of that. That's incredible good news, not bad news. That's not an asterisk, friends. There's three reasons, I think, that that's good news for us. It's good news because we need it in our world. It's good news because it gives us freedom. And it's good news because Jesus is the one who's bringing it. So first, it's good news because we need it. We need the justice of God in our world because the same story that the Bible unfolds for us is unfolding out there every day. It's unfolding in our lives every day. Five days ago, 19 children were murdered and two teachers were murdered with them. 14 days ago, five Taiwanese churchgoers were shot and one of them died all because of racism and hatred. Fifteen days ago, ten African-American brothers and sisters were killed in a grocery store in Buffalo. There were people shot there by a white supremacist who was motivated by online hatred and far-right political conspiracy theories. That's the world we're living in. According to the most recent full year of data that we have, guns are now the leading cause of death for Americans under the age of 19. That's insane. And that's the world we reside in. Injustice is rampant. And here's the saddest part. Like Elizabeth said, we've gotten used to it. It's become like muscle memory. We just copy-paste these tragedies over and over in our world. We've gotten used to a culture that permits the ongoing killing of children in the name of individual rights. And that happens on both sides of the political spectrum. This isn't a political thing. This is a reality of our broken world. And we know it isn't right. Every one of us knows it isn't right. That's why it's hard when we see this happen in our world. That's why we walk around with a malaise in our lives. Each and every one of us in this room is longing in the deepest parts of who we are for justice to come. And we don't just mean punishment. We mean peace. We mean harmony. We mean love and respect for all people. Cries for justice come from everywhere in our world. We long for this because we know we need it. And oftentimes, our longing leads us to try to bring justice on our terms. This is a major part of our human condition. We make ourselves the judges. We think we need to fix the world that we're in. There's a couple of different ways that we do this. We become judges first, oftentimes, of others. We believe that we can separate the good from the bad, that we can delineate what's wrong and what's right, and we can keep the bad people out and fix our world on our terms. Why do you think we love revenge movies so much? Django Unchained. Liam Neeson's made a whole career off of them. Taken one, two, and three. They made three of those movies. They're all about revenge. Taking justice and judgment into our hands. We feel empowered by that notion. That's what our culture tells us judgment looks like. Our whole society is built on it. Political parties and social media, it's about defeating the other. It's about putting those baddies out there and making sure everyone knows that we're the good people. We can bring justice, we can bring judgment according to our world. This is the story that every society in human history has lived through. Some group eventually decides that they can be the harbingers of judgment. And it never works out. It never works out. Every time, it leads to the worst totalitarian and governmental nightmares in our history. When one group decides that they can be the judges over others, it leads to problems religious spheres and social spheres and political spheres. Violence and injustice come when humans say, I can be the judge over someone else. And here's the reason it's never led to peace, friends. Because the same things that we condemn out there are happening right in here. The same things going on out there in the world are happening in our own house. Just recently, there was a report released by the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the country. They had covered up sexual abuse for decades it was on a scale similar to what happened in the Catholic Church a few decades ago. The Church is just as c- is complicit in this. And if we seek to make ourselves the judges over others, soon it will be revealed to us that well, we participate in the same problems. We can't be judges, friends. Mm-hmm. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the famous Russian author, put it this way. He said, If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who's willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? This is what happens when we make ourselves the judges over others, friends. And many times in our culture, we tend to respond by saying, I can make myself the judge over myself. Nobody else can judge me, and I can't judge anybody else, but I will judge myself. It's my job to work in my life to separate the good and the evil, to perfect myself so that peace and shalom can come in my own life. We make ourselves the judge over ourselves. And that seems freeing at first, but it actually is really crippling. If it's our responsibility to extract all of the good from the evil in our lives, if it's our responsibility to cleanse ourselves all the time, then our entire lives are going to be a hamster wheel spinning towards perfection that we'll never get. And our world is evidence of this. Right now in our world, people are committed to two projects, perfecting their outer bodies and perfecting their inner bodies. They perfect their outer bodies through diets and workouts and fitness, and eventually everyone becomes disillusioned because, well, we decay. We die. We don't have the power to perfect our outer bodies. And we do the same thing in the inner parts of us. We identify the malfunctions and say we can fix it through meditation, through therapy, through religiosity. We can fix it on our own effort. We make ourselves the judges of ourselves, and it leads us to disillusionment every time because we can never make the perfect world that we think we can make. It's no coincidence that in the age where we have the most boldly proclaimed judgment of ourselves, that we can take it upon ourselves, in that age, we are more depressed, we're more anxious, and our relationships are more broken than we've ever seen them, at least in American history. When we think we can judge ourselves, we become disillusioned people living in a disillusioned world. If we make ourselves over judges over others or judges over ourselves, it never leads to the shalom that we long for, because we need a judge beyond ourselves. We need something that can bring justice in the ways that we never can. And that's why the Christian vision is so compelling. Because God does what we are never able to do on our own. And we can leave it to God to do that work. That's why Paul, in Romans here, says, don't repay evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves, because vengeance is the Lord's. Because Paul knows that when we take judgment into our hands, when we try to take justice into our hands and define ourselves over and against others, or try to perfect our lives, it will always lead to pain. It will always lead to suffering. And it will never bring the shalom that we know we need. But when we trust that Jesus can bring it, it starts to change our world. And if you're wondering whether you can trust that Jesus can bring that, go ahead and read the biographies of Jesus that we have in these pages. Over and over again in his ministry, he brings justice and shalom in the middle of a dying world, in the middle of a broken world. World. That's the Jesus that we trust to make all things right at the end. This is a crucial bit of the good news of the gospel, friends. We need the judgment of Jesus because we can't bring it on our own. So it's good news because we need it. It's also good news because it gives us freedom. Knowing that Jesus is the one who brings judgment and justice frees us from the pressure to have to perfect the world on our terms. If Jesus is coming to judge That means it isn't our job to make everything right on our own. It's not. That's too big a task for us. We can get off the hamster wheel when we know this is true. Jesus' judgment frees us from the fantasy that human society is perfectible on humanity's strength. It allows us to be more patient. It allows us to realize that I'm a broken person in need. It prevents me from having to say that every part of my life has to be put together on my terms and instead allows me to say, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you doing right now in my life? How can I participate in your healing and your justice here and now? It allows us to invite him in instead of having to take it on to ourselves. You guys, there are things in my life and in the world around there that frustrate the hell out of me. And I know that I frustrate the hell out of certain people. If you haven't met my wife Emily, just ask her go out to coffee. All sorts of things that I am imperfect in. But when I trust that Jesus is the one that's going to perfect those things now and into eternity, I can become more patient with myself. I can be more patient with all of you and you can be more patient with me. I don't need you to be perfect. Nobody does. Instead, I want to invite you to participate with Jesus as I try as well. That's the freedom that comes in the Christian awareness that Jesus is coming to perfect all things eventually. But it doesn't just stop there. It also frees us to embody Jesus' way in our world today. Notice, Paul is really clear that when we trust that Jesus is bringing judgment, that vengeance is the Lord's, then it leads to action here and now. Trusting Jesus always looks like embodying the way of Jesus as we anticipate the eventual coming of the kingdom embodying that kingdom here and now so that others might experience it. That's why Paul gives all these instructions he does in this chapter and in the little bit we read. He says, feed and give drink to even your enemies. Overcome evil with good. He's saying that when you trust Jesus' arrival to bring shalom back, you will become someone who embodies that reality here and now in a community of people. Paul isn't saying... Trust that Jesus is coming back by offering your thoughts and prayers over Facebook to people. He's not saying do this sentimental thing where you just try to kind of comfort people through. He says embody the goodness of Jesus. Embody Shalom now because that's the reality that's coming. And when you do that, it starts to create that reality here and now in little pockets, not because of what we're doing, but because of what Jesus is doing in our midst. When Christians creatively embody this in the world, it creates real and lasting transformation. It changes the the fractured shalom around us. There's a a theologian and a pastor, his name's Shane Claiborne. Uh, A few years ago, he was reckoning with a lot of the the gun violence that has existed in the last couple decades, especially in the U.S. He's like, what do we do as the church? This keeps happening over and over. What do we do? And he had a friend of his who was a blacksmith, and they had this idea. They said, what if we invited people on their interest, if they would like to join us, what if we invited people to come and we'll melt down their guns? What if we did that? And then, once the metal was melted down, what if we reformed those guns into gardening tools? What if we made, in our world, the weapons that are used to fracture shalom and created, instead, tools to be used to bring shalom? What if we did that in our world? That could change things. You guys, that's exactly what the cross of Jesus Christ is. It's a weapon that the world intends to use for violence. A weapon that the world intends to use to fracture shalom. And Jesus says, okay, I'll take that and make it into the most glorious shalom-packed thing that's ever existed. That's what the cross looks like for us. And that's our job as a Christian community, to embody that here and now. So our reply to injustice is never passive, and it's never sentimental, and it's never just, well, here's some thoughts and prayers. Prayers are really important. But prayers are always going to be connected to action in some way or another. Knowing that Jesus is coming to bring justice into the world will lead to a fervent commitment to that justice here and now. And Paul mentions what this does here. He uses an interesting analogy. You may have caught it and may have been confused by it. Paul says that when we do this, we heap burning coals onto the heads of our neighbors. What? Super weird, right? Super weird phrase. What's going on? Well, there's a scholar named William Barclay who I think uh, elaborates on this pretty well. He reminds us that in the ancient world, Coals and fire in general were the source of all life. If you wanted to stay warm, if you wanted to cook, you needed to have hot coals and a fire. And if you ran out of hot coals, that meant life was going away for you. And so many people would go to their neighbor's house and they'd ask him, hey, do you have any hot coals? Because I need to get my fire started back up. My family's cold and hungry. And if you were a good neighbor, you would give them those coals. You'd put them in some sort of bin or container. And then, because they'd be a little bit heavy and hot, they'd carry them like this in a bin on their head back home you'd give coals to other people, you'd heap them onto their heads so that they could avoid starvation, so that they could avoid freezing. Paul is saying here, in this passage, that by loving enemies and avoiding judgment of them and condemnation of them, the Christian becomes someone who extends life into a broken and dying world, who gives the fire of life to their neighbors who are sitting in darkness. That's what we have the capacity to do. Rather than judging and condemning the enemy as an enemy, it extends friendship to the enemy. As Abraham Lincoln once said, the only way to stop having an enemy is by making them a friend. It's the only way. According to Paul and Christ, it's the same thing. According to Martin Luther King Jr., darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. That's our job as Christians. It's not to judge others. The judgment of Jesus that's coming is enough. We can leave it to Jesus to perfect our world. Our job is simply to embody the way of Jesus here and now, in as best as we can, being patient with ourselves and being patient with others. You know, as Paul says here, live peaceably with others in so much as it depends on you. The assumption there is that, well, peace isn't going to come by your action. You can't bring it all. You have to trust that Jesus is bringing it. And when we do that, friends, when we trust that Jesus is bringing justice, perfecting the world, oh, it gives us life, it frees us. We can now just embody his love to our neighbors freely. We can never perfect the world on our own effort. It's an impossible task. And it's always failed every time we've tried. Thankfully, that's not our task to pursue because Jesus is going to do it. It's simply our task to embody the better place that God is bringing into the world through Jesus. And that's actually maybe the best part of this good news. It's not just good news because we need it. It's not just good news because it frees us. It's good news because it's Jesus that's bringing it. A friend of mine uh, had to go into court a few years ago for a speeding ticket. And in the state he was in, you had to go before a judge when you got it. And so he showed up, and he was pretty nervous. He's like, what's going to happen here? I don't know. Really, I've never been to court before. And so he's sitting in the lobby, and somebody who works at the court notices he's nervous, and they want to come up and reassure him. So they say, hey, man, court is always more intimidating than you think. I'm sure you'll be just fine. In fact, I, I know the judges, and many of them are, are really good guys. Here, give me your, your sheet of paper that you have. Who's the judge presiding over your case? So my friend handed them this sheet of paper, ready to be reassured. And they looked down at the paper, and they're like, ooh. <laughs> good luck, man. And they walked away. <laughs> Our experience of judgment is always dependent on the one doing the judging. Our experience of judgment is always dependent on the one doing the judging. Who does the creed say is going to do the judging? Jesus. Who does the creed say is the one doing the judging? Jesus. This is the same Jesus that we know from the Gospels. This isn't a good cop, bad cop routine. He's not pulling the floor out from under us. This is the same Jesus who loved the last, the least, and the lost. The same Jesus who saw a woman caught in adultery and said, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more the same Jesus who liberates, the same Jesus who forgives, the same Jesus who heals. This is the same Jesus who went to the cross to absorb all judgment for the world so that we wouldn't have to take it on ourselves. That's the judge that's coming. That's incredibly good news. The one who is fully good and fully just and fully merciful is the one who is our judge and will judge the world. That allows us to come before that judge in humility because we know he longs to forgive us. Because we know he longs to restore us. We know that his goal is not meting out punishment. His goal is restoring shalom. This is not a God who longs to condemn. It's a God who longs to save. That's the judgment that's coming. And that's incredibly good news for us. You guys, when we hear the statement that Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead, it needs to warm our hearts. It needs to make us excited. This week I was praying, Jesus, can I not preach on your justice? Can you just bring it? I'd love not to say these words and just sit down because Jesus is in our midst. This is something we should long for. We should long for it because we need it in a broken world. We should long for it because it frees us. We should long for it because it's Jesus returning. This is a powerful part of the good news, not bad news hiding underneath it. And when we trust this, friends, we become a community that starts to embody that justice to our world right now. That's why we meet in this space. That's why we do what we do With our time because we want to be people who experience the justice the shalom of God in our midst we want to be people who trust that Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead let's pray friends